The National Museum of Funeral History presents The Final Curtain Never Closes. I'm your host, Genevieve Keeney Vasquez, the president and CEO of the museum. Once again, I have gotten a fascinating guest with us today, Cody Lepowski. He is the president of Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services here in Houston, Texas. So last month, if you got a chance to listen to our podcast, we talked about a lot of the different professions that go into caring for the dead. And so I actually asked the president of Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services to be our guest this month to help give you some insight on what it takes to be one of those professionals in caring for our dead. And I call this a very important job. Uh, They are the last person to let you down in life, and that is the funeral director and or embalmer. Um, And you can be both or you can be uh, just a funeral director. And Cody is here to tell us more about that, what it takes to be uh, either a funeral director or a funeral director and embalmer, uh, what kind of classes you can expect, and how long will it take you to become a professional in the death care business. So, Cody, welcome. Genevieve, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate being on and I know you guys have some good shows, and I'm just glad to be a part of it and help explain how people get into funeral service. Well, thank you. Um, I have to say myself, I'm a graduate there of Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services, and uh, wow, I don't want to tell my age, but it's been about 17 years since I've graduated, so I'm sure some things have changed. So, of course, I don't want to speak to it, but I'm actually interested myself to see how things have changed in uh, the curriculum side of our industry. We, we've had a lot of changes, and I'll, I'll point out, too, I'm a graduate of the college as well. A lot of our faculty and staff are graduates of the college. We're, we're really proud of that, that so many people came through, got licensed, went out and worked in the field, and then came back to help train the next generation. It's a really neat thing to be able to do. Um, since you were a student, since I was a student, we've had a lot of changes. Um, some are noticeable, some are less noticeable. Uh, the biggest really is when we went through, we did not have one of the three labs that's now required. Um, all of our students that go through have three lab requirements for kind of outside the classroom activities that are non-lecture. And when we were students, we had the embalming labs, if you remember those. Yes, I do. Oh, do I remember those. So you're saying we don't have embalming no, no, lab we, anymore? No, we do have embalming lab. We still have that. Okay. We also had, as students, when you and I went through, we had the restorative art lab where we had to work with wax. Yes, and, I remember. You know, we would model fa- facial features, help with reconstruction. Uh, there's now a third one that's been added by the accreditor, and it's a funeral directing lab. And it's, it's kind of interesting in that there's two halves to it. One of them cannot be completed on campus. It has to be done in the field. And students are required to go to five different types of funerals. And there's a preset list where, you know, if you remember your material, liturgical, non-liturgical, military, all of those, and they have to go attend five different types of services just to see with their own eyes these things they're learning about in the classroom. And So you're saying five different types of services. I'm just a listener out here. And I'm like, five different types of services, really? There's more than one? I mean, a funeral service is a funeral service. So can you elaborate just a little bit more for those of us who aren't in the industry? What do you mean by five different? So the the biggest difference is between a funeral service and a memorial service. With a funeral service, that is where the body is actually present in a casket. And there's many different types of funeral services. 
the other side of that is a memorial service where there's no body. There may be an urn, possibly a cremation beforehand, uh, but there's no physical body in a casket. And, and that's the difference between the two. From there, it just gets wider and wider. With memorial service, it could be uh, military, it could be religious, it could be secular, might be at the funeral home, could be at you know a church, VFW hall, person's house. And then with a funeral service, it really depends on the setting and, and what's going on. It could be a religious service, and we break that down into almost every religion out there, uh, whether that be Christian, Jewish, uh, Hindu, Muslim, all kind of different religious services. And then we have, of course, the, the secular services. Um, it, it's not uncommon nowadays to have you know something in the funeral home chapel with a celebrant. Um, you know, a lot of times we use high school gyms, maybe when a younger person passes away, all kind of locations. So there's many different ways to have a service uh, depending on the method of disposition that the family chooses and then their background, their faith, things like that. So we have a standard list of 10 of them and the students are required to go out and observe five of these and, and get some sort of documentation, whether that's a, a prayer card, a folder, something to prove they actually went and attended the service. Um, that got a little little wonky during COVID when we had everything locked down. And, of course. Uh, we had to allow virtual services. But that that's a new trend in funeral service that we're seeing. A lot of funeral homes are now live streaming services. So that gives us kind of an added layer of, of opportunities for the students. Um, but that's the one half. They have to go witness five services. The other half is we actually have them make funeral arrangements. Now, this can be done in a mock setting or it can be done live. So for our students that work in funeral homes, they can do arrangements on site live with actual families under supervision or they can do it in a mock setting with their funeral director or on campus with us. And we take them through the ins and outs of how to go over the paperwork, the documents, um, everything that needs to be explained, how you explain it. There, there's a big difference between learning a form in class and saying, here's this form, here's the different boxes that need to be filled out, and you get the family to sign it, and here's why. There's a big difference in just explaining that and then sitting at the table across from somebody that's had a loss, and you're having to go through this emotional time with them explain this form that, that may have some details they don't necessarily want to hear or want to discuss, but it, it's part of the process. And we have to teach the students how to go through those steps, how to properly explain things and, and you know cope with the different situations. Every family is different and they need to be prepared for that. So we, we take them through the mock arrangements and uh, we do five different ones that take them through different types of services. That way we're, we're not doing all cremations, all burials, things like that. Um, and it's, it's really an interesting addition that you and I didn't have that, that's now a part of the program. Um, other than that, Commonwealth has actually just made some new changes to our curriculum. So when we were students, there was a certain slate of classes that everybody took. And over time, there have been a lot of outside changes, uh, both from the industry, from the profession itself, and, and what's going on out there in the real world, but also from the accreditor for all programs of mortuary science. Three items I wanted to point out. The first, in the beginning of the conversation, you were talking about how there's a lot of instructors that went to Commonwealth. I went to Commonwealth and you went to Commonwealth. We're all funeral directors. Uh, we're all licensed 
in the state of Texas uh, to work in a funeral home, but yet we have chosen a different path with our license. And I think that just shows the flexibility and or the versatility that we have with our license, that you don't have to just work in a funeral home or just work in an embalming lab, that you can do other things as a licensed funeral director. Um, and one of those is educating. And I, I think that's fascinating. Um, the other thing that you pointed out was, you know, use this word disposition. Uh, early on in your uh, statement, and I thought, wow, disposition. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. What, you know, the standard disposition, and um, if you could just highlight that again for people who might not understand what the standard disposition is. Sure, and, and boy, that's changed over the years, hasn't it? Uh, oh, yes, it has. You know, disposition is, it really, when you boil it down, it is what is happening to the body. Disposition is the end result. We're not talking about services, anything like that, viewing, no viewing. It is the end result. What is going to happen with the physical remains? And for the longest time, it was burial. That was, that was it. Yeah. And then cremation came about and really slow to, to take on within our field. And boy, we have seen that grow by leaps and bounds. Um, I think the latest numbers came out, and I think cremation was around... 60% or so nationwide. It, it's, I mean, it's way over half people are now cremating, but disposition is, you know, in some states, it's going to be a couple options. Other states, it'll be more. We've seen some new things that have actually uh, hit the field. And what, what people don't realize is these new options for disposition, what you can do with your loved ones, it's really dictated by the state. Um, a state has to decide what the legal methods of disposition are for what you can do. Here in Texas, we have obviously burial and cremation. We also have the option for willing your body to science, those that donate their body uh, really to medical schools for research and study and using it for the next generation of medical students. Um, and, and, that's, and the other option we do list officially is transportation, leaving the state. So in Texas, you know, we follow... As far as the state is concerned, we follow that body through cremation, burial, willing the body to science, or when it leaves the state. So if somebody moved here in retirement and they were from you know, New York and they're going to be taken back home for, for services, uh, we would follow it to that point. But that's really all we can do in Texas. Outside of the state, we do have new options that have come about. Um, one of the latest is called alkaline hydrolysis. And that's a, a new thing. Some people refer to it as flameless cremation or water cremation. And it's essentially... Yeah, I like to call it cremation by water. Yes. <laughs> it just gets people all the that's time. Right. They're like, what? And <laughs> unlike traditional cremation with fire, the body is encased in a metal chamber. It's filled with water and then a very alkaline, uh, very basic solution. And it's pressurized and heated. And it does the same thing as cremation where the, the soft tissue... Uh, leaves the body, and all that's left is bone, just like with cremation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a that's a new one that is that's come about, but it's not yet legal in Texas. Um, it, it's getting its approval in certain states around the country, uh, but not yet in Texas. We also have another one that's uh, a lot of people refer to as composting. And that has... Oh, I heard about that. Uh, actually, a few months back, uh, um, Barbara... And I talked about that. That that one was like, wow, new to me even. <laughs> and that, that one is a lot newer. And it's gotten approval in some states. Uh, I think the northwest up in Oregon, Washington, you know, they, they have approval up there. 
that one is not yet legal in Texas, but it just goes to show there are more than, you know, one or two options. People can do different things with their loved ones and, you know, the, the days of everyone being buried is, you know, those are, those are gone. Uh, a lot of people are still buried, but what most people don't realize is cremation or the states that allow alkaline hydrolysis, there's so many things you can do once that disposition has taken place. You can, you know, take that urn, take the cremated remains, and you can scatter them. You can put them in a niche at a cemetery. Um, you know, you can bury them in the ground. A lot of people do that when they finish a cremation. They take the urn and bury it in the ground just like you would a casket. Um, there's, there's really a lot of options now that, that people did not have before. But disposition is simply the end of the line. And I do want to clear up a misconception. A lot of people equate cremation with no embalming. They think that embalming is the opposite of cremation, and that's not the case. Um, embalming is simply a means of temporary preservation. We, we do that process to temporarily preserve the body, to disinfect, and to restore it to a lifelike appearance. That is simply something people do if they want to have a viewing and, and have an open casket service, or you can do it before cremation uh, with or without a casket. And don't we also, for so, some places, require embalming uh, just for transportation? Yes. A lot, of, a lot of times, if you are going to transport remains, embalming is going to be required, especially if you're going across state lines. That, that's really the big one mm -hmm. is when you go across your state lines from one jurisdiction to, the, to another. Um, another example would be flying. When you go by a common carrier, if somebody's going to be flown uh, from one city to another for, for services or for disposition, a lot of times the airlines will require it as well. You're talking about how so many things have changed and adding additional lab. Um, you know, a lot of times the lab is that hands-on experience, that opportunity to really put yourself in it. Um, and, and I just have to say, I'm like, wow, you know, we didn't have as much hand-on experience when you and I attended. Um, and, you know, if you think about back in the old times when uh, the profession was very heavy on the generational funeral directors, right? Yes. They grew up in it. It was their environment. It was what they, it was just life for them, right? Um, so they had hands-on every day. So going to school and sitting down and studying a book and, and just basically listening to the information, reinstilling that in which they've been doing day in, day out in their life, um, it was, I can understand why the curriculum aspect of it was just kind of like that final nugget they needed to get the licensure. And now we you know, kind of have almost flipped the industry on their on its head, and it's not so much generational anymore. So you've got people coming into the industry now that have never stepped foot in a funeral home, uh, who've never seen a dead body, and here we're giving them the curriculum and saying, okay, this is all the information you need to know, but oh, by the way, <laughs> what you're learning and how you apply it are truly going to be two different things. So I truly have to commend you on bringing in these these hands-on experiences and these labs because, um, you know, you're right. You're dealing with people at their most vulnerable time in life and you're, you're helping them get through a very hard time in life. And we as hu we're human, you know, we're funeral directors, but we're human. And there's no doubt that we're going to take on some of that emotional um, energy that is present in the room that they're feeling. And I think that that hands-on experience, hands down, is, is definitely needed in our industry when we're learning how to become 
a deaf care professional. You touched on it, how few students have a, a family connection anymore to the funeral home. Um, you know, years ago, you're right, almost everybody that came to school worked at a funeral home, and more than likely, they were related. They were the, the owner's children, nieces, nephews, spouse, brothers. Uh, I mean, it was that was commonplace. That was the standard. Very few of our students have that connection anymore. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but from the national scale, the accreditor for all of our mortuary colleges, they put out statistics every year based on what we report to them. And last year in 2022, the number of students around the country that had a relation somehow to the profession was, I believe, less than 10%. And years ago, it, wow. it was 70, 80, 90%. And, and now, like you said, it's flipped over on its head. Uh, very few of our students have any relation. And you'd be surprised how many come to school having never worked in, in the field at all. They've never worked at a funeral home. They think that this is, this is the job for them, that they have the calling inside of them. Um, and it is a calling. It's not just a job or a career. It is a calling. And it truly is. People, people, I don't think people really also understand that, is that uh, this profession, it, it's, it's not something that can be pushed upon you. Um, there are some people that go into it for the wrong reasons or there's a misunderstanding. Um, but at the end of the day, I truly believe it's a calling it, that we all get. And, and a lot of times the calling comes at young at a young age, right? I mean, how old were you when you got your calling? Oh, I mean, I started working at the funeral home when I was 17, 18 years old. And I was at, I was yeah. in high school. And, and a lot of people are like that. They, you know, if for those that are not second, third career, we, we get the calling and, and we, we decide to go give it a try. And, and for me personally, I didn't realize that was a job option. I had no idea that funeral service existed. Uh, I had no grandparents that died when I was of age to remember going to funerals. Um, just really didn't realize this was something out there that was available to me. And, and looking back, my family and friends all say, oh, that makes perfect sense because I was the one on, you know, family road trip. Let's stop at that cemetery. Let's go look around. That, <laughs> you know, I bet they have some neat old headstones in there. And they, they say it makes perfect sense. Uh, my, my dad actually grew up on a cemetery in Pennsylvania. And his family and, and, and all, of the, all of the kids, they were the caretakers. They mowed the grass. They uh, dug all of the graves. It was in Pennsylvania in the back, you know, uh, uh, back mountain area. And they had to dig through rock and, you know, use dynamite to get, get the graves open, uh, thaw the ice in the winter. And, and he grew up on a cemetery. And he always said that it was his experiences and those stories. That's what spurred me on. And, and you know, I, I, now that I've, you know, grew and, and he passed away several years ago, but I had to tell him, you know, there, there's a difference. Those that work at the cemetery and at the funeral home, but uh, he, he liked to take credit for, for getting me into the business. But uh, well, there you And it's interesting because, you know, mine was seven. I was seven years old and I just had, uh, you know, heard a new segment of, of a baby um, unfortunately being found in a trash can. And it was in that moment that I wanted to know what death looked like. I wanted to understand death. I wanted to understand what the body went through. And mine came from a very scientific point of view. Uh, of course, at seven, you don't under, really understand science. But looking back on my life and, and how um, I came into the profession, it truly was driven by my, um, my love for science and wanting to understand the human body and what it goes through, what, what causes it to, to cease life 
And what does it look like when life has ceased within the human body? And, oh, well, now we don't have any life in it. So now what do we got to do with it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so my interest was in that. And and I think, I, you know, one of the things I want to talk about to the listeners is that, you know, you and I are talking about how we came into the profession and how the profession found us. And I and I think it's important for us to 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 maybe focus on the fact that, you know, if somebody is working in the cemetery or someone is living above the funeral home like they did back in the days, it becomes, it, it's natural, it's normal, and it's almost an expectation that that person is going to be going into the field of caring for the dead. However, then there's people like you and I, right, where, where we had what we call, like I like to call it, this morbid curiosity, right, and this this draw to uh, things that are no longer living, right? And 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 in society, if if you're not if you don't grow up around that environment, I think society can look at you with a crooked eye and think that there's something wrong with you, and perhaps maybe there's nothing wrong with you at all. You just have an innate calling to be in this profession. And you just haven't realized it yet. And just like you said, you didn't know that there was a profession in in, in caring for the dead, like as in a funeral director. And I think that that's an important message for you and I to to put out into the world today is letting people know that if you do have this, um, it's in this internal desire or this internal interest into understanding what death is about or you're kind of drawn towards uh uh, uh, seeing the dead body and the effects that the death had upon them, whatever the mechanism of death was, um, maybe you're 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 trying to understand how they died or what caused, uh, why did that injury create that death? You know, the modality of it and the, the 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 physiological aspects of it. If that is what drives you, perhaps you are that chosen one for our profession. No, I, I agree. And, and like you said, I had no clue, none whatsoever, that this was a job option. And oddly enough, you know, you talk about things that might bring us into this profession. For those of us that have no connection, and essentially I, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life, what, what direction, what degree to go after And in high school. And after, after football ended, my parents said, you need to get a job. And it just happened to coincide that the counselors at our high school had acquired a, uh, a test that you could take, and it was an interest inventory. And you sat down, answered, I, I can't remember how many questions, but it was a lot of questions, and it really asked you questions about your personality, your character traits, your interests, all of that. And then the background computer of it ran a bunch of stuff and, and spit out a list of jobs that matched your personality. This was at the top of my list. And when I saw that, I saw that result and thought, Okay, that that makes sense, but I didn't realize that was a job. So I went to the local funeral home, sat down and talked to them, and and they invited me to take a part-time job after school and on the weekends and help with services and see if this was something I wanted to do. And and it was pretty pretty quick. I knew I had found my place. This is this is where I belonged, and I've been with it ever since. Never done anything but funeral service. And there's a lot of us so out there like that. Too? So now you know. Uh, let's say I think that I might be interested in it. I didn't get to take a personality test at school, but is there an opportunity through Commonwealth, if I were to walk into your doors, is there an opportunity to, to figure out if this is my calling? Do we have anything 
along those lines? Is, is there a funeral home that would, be, would open their doors to me to say, hey, come on in and let me let me show you around and, and, and let me see if this is this is all that you think it's going to be? Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely places out there that would love to sit down and talk to somebody that has interest and see if they want to get into this. I mean, there's a lot of our students that kind of give us the same story that, that I went through. They talked to their local funeral home and they, they said, yeah, come work a couple services, come on the weekends and, and go through it. I mean, we'd love to sit down with anybody here at the college and we can go through what, what the realities are of working in this field and, and what it entails um, and make sure it's the right, you know, right field for someone to go into. Um, but I know a lot of funeral homes do that and there, there's many resources out there. You know, people just need to ask, and we can try and find somebody to sit you down with. Um, and, and we do that with our students, too. Um, I told you a lot of them come here without any any experience. They have never set foot in a funeral home, but they think this is something they want to do. And, and we have guest speakers come in. We have many employment opportunities that, you know, part of that employment process is talking to you about the job and whether you want to do that and kind of what aspects you know, a lot of people are interested in the funeral directing side. Some people are interested in the embalming side. Like you said earlier, there's a place for everybody. But there there are funeral homes that would love to sit down and, and talk to people and, and kind of gauge their interest and let them know what the realities are and whether this is a, a fit for them. Um, and, and right now we're in a kind of an odd spot with funeral service where um, we need people. There are a lot of retirements happening. Um most funeral homes around the country, I don't want to say most, but a lot of funeral homes are, are looking for help. They need more funeral directors and embalmers. And, the, the, you know, the need is growing for people in our profession. So I, I know that that willingness to sit down is there even more so now because everybody needs help. And they, they want to find people to, to join uh, funeral service and, and help care for, care for the dead and, and help the families. You and I, we've been kind of skimming around, you know, what calls us, and uh, and and I want to say we kind of have uh, glorified the profession a bit. It's, let's talk about the ugly side of our profession, right? I mean, you know, so many times when people are are, are putting forth, uh, you know, a, a, a profession, they never really focus on the good, the bad. They, they focus on the good, but they don't focus on the bad and the ugly, right? There's the obvious, obvious ugly to this profession, right? It's it's caring for, you know, a dead body. Uh, you know, even in our society, we kind of like think, oh, dead body, who, why would you want to go near a dead body? I'd be afraid and stuff like that. I always tell people, you need to be afraid of the living. They're the ones that can hurt you. <laughs> Not the That's dead. right. That's it. <laughs> so do you have some ugly sides that you, that, that you would like to share about the profession? I, I do. And, and the first one you mentioned, just the body itself, that is one of the big things that scares people off that, you know, aren't sure if this is right for them and maybe would be great sitting down with a family and making arrangements, but they just can't think about being around dead bodies. And, and you know, it does take a certain kind of person that can work with the deceased and, and not let that, you know, factor into to how they're performing at their job. And we... So if I can interrupt, so since you did say that, I have a calling and I'm like, I really, really want to help people, but I just cannot stand thinking about working with the body. What then, if that's me? If that's the problem for somebody, it first it depends on your state, on how your state 
goes about licensure. Um, some states have a combined license where to work in, in this profession, you have to be both a funeral director and embalmer. And if that's your state, if that's what they require, then unfortunately embalming and working with the bodies, even if you don't do it down the road once you get a job, maybe you just work on the funeral directing side, to get to that point though, you have to go through your apprenticeship where you do embalming, working with remains, you would do it at mortuary college, so that, that would be required. But in states like Texas that have, have dual licensure where you can be one or the other or both, then somebody can pursue licensure as just a funeral director and there's no embalming required, they don't have to work with the remains, it's more of the front of the building kind of staff. The funeral directors, coat and tie, meeting people at the door, making funeral arrangements, working services, but not physically with the remains. So that is definitely an option, and we have a lot of students that do that. They come to school, we, we have two separate programs. One of them is our associate degree, which is the combined for both funeral directing and embalming, and then we have a certificate program for funeral directing only. And a lot of those students, they're, they're in that kind of mindset of they really don't want to work with the bodies um, or they work at a funeral home where, you know, we have plenty of embalmers, but I want to help out meeting with families. That's where we need help. And, and they go that side and they never have to touch a body, never have to embalm. Um, and I will tell you about once a year, uh, we, about once a year and, and, you know, so forth, we have one student or so that come do their labs and they do their first day or so of embalming lab, and they decide this is not the field for them. They say, nope, I, I tried it and just can't do it. Uh, we had one a few years ago where we, we never actually never heard from the guy again. Came for labs and did, I think, one day and fell off the face of the earth. Decided, we heard through the grapevine, just couldn't handle it, was not for him. Didn't want to move to the certificate program and do the funeral directing only, and, and, and that's okay. That that happens. But he could have moved to the certificate program if he wanted to. Yes. If, if, if in the beginning of the school year, you're saying, yeah, I'm going to be both a funeral director and a bomber. I got this. And then you get into that first day of lab, and you're staring at the body, and you're having to do the work on the body, and you realize that you're weak at the knees, you're queasy, this isn't your cup of tea. I can at that time choose to switch my 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 degree plans. Yes, yes, you can you can definitely That's switch. Awesome. You you can move over. And, and the big difference is most of our classes fall into two categories: arts or sciences. The sciences are those that relate to embalming. The arts relate to funeral directing. And when you do our certificate program, you're essentially taking half of the entire associate degree. You're taking all of the arts courses, but no sciences. So yeah, we, we've had students over the years that, that decide embalming's not for me, or they, they just can't handle it. It, it can be very graphic. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not always the prettiest sight, especially when there's trauma, or if the person's been autopsied, and you know, they, they just don't want to be involved in that, and, and they switch to the certificate, and that's okay. But again, it, it goes back to your state, wherever you reside, wherever you plan to get licensed, you have to make sure your state has that option, that it's not a total license for both funeral directing and embalming. Um, so, I mean, that's... So, so yeah, so I know, so I'm going through my program, and, um, and, I, and I've chosen both arts and the science, and, and I'm checking right along, and but now you guys are talking about this license that I have to get, right? I, I, I've gone through all the, uh, all the schooling, but now I have more I'm going to do, right? Yes. So the schooling is, is one requirement. All of the states in the United States, other than Colorado, license their 
practitioners, they're funeral directors and embalmers. It, it's a trade, just like you would think of with uh, welders, dentists, uh, even doctors, you know, have a medical license. Any of those trades out there that require a state license, most of them are going to require some kind of education, and generally, that's mortuary college. Um, there's 58, 59 mortuary programs around the country, and all of the states, again, except for Colorado, have a licensure process that you go through, and some of them are going to have a little bit more on that list, some have a little bit less, but essentially you, you can boil it down to you have to have a mortuary science education, which the college provides, you have to take and pass a licensure exam, um, there's a national exam, there's also a lot of states now putting their own uh, in-house exam up there as, as an alternative. Um, you also have to do an apprenticeship of some kind. Every state will dictate what that entails. It could be you know, a, a set amount of time, could be a set number of cases you have to do. Uh, it may be both. Here in Texas, we have a maximum time limit, but there is a required number of cases of both funeral directing and embalming you have to do. Um, and, and one, so what is that for the state of Texas? It's 40. Uh, I finished my curriculum. I passed my national boards. I passed my state boards. Uh, now do I, ha I, have, I have this apprenticeship you're talking about. What, what do I have to do now as a, as an apprentice? Do I, do I have to work in the funeral home? Do I, I don't understand my apprenticeship. So as an apprentice, you do have to work at a funeral home and every state will differ. Sometimes it's a full-time requirement. You have to be a full-time employee, um, some states have different categories for like funeral assistant, things like that. Will I get paid as I'm doing my apprenticeship? That will be dictated by the state. Texas does require it. Texas requires that... Oh, so Texas will tell me that that the person I'm with, they have to pay yes, me. Yes, you do have to get paid for what you do. And, and that's so that people aren't taken advantage of in, as in, you know, an intern type situation. Yes. Um, now, it can be part-time. does not have to be full-time employment in Texas. You can be a part-time staff member there. And essentially, you have, if you're going after both licenses, the funeral directing and the embalming, you have to do 45 cases of each. So for embalming, that means you are embalming under the direction of a licensee, a fully licensed embalmer. And the process, you know, goes along through your 45 cases so that by the end, you're essentially doing it by yourself. You are the one doing that embalming. Um, with funeral directing, it's making arrangements, meeting with families, sitting in, watching how the licensee does it, and slowly working you into you being the one on the other side of the table and, and making those arrangements and then taking the service out, running the service, doing the actual directing side, uh, whether that be a you know cremation, burial, church, at the funeral home, uh, that whole process of making arrangements all the way through the services and the disposition. Once you complete... So they really, so it's really kind of like they take you by the hand from the moment you graduate and really help you learn your job before letting you go. That is correct. Um, yeah, I think that's wonderful. I mean, a lot of times you, you go to college, you graduate, and then boom, you're out there on your own, right? That's right. You're not on your own yeah. when you do an apprenticeship. And here in Texas, we call it a provisional period. We refer to the apprenticeship as a provisional license. Um, when you complete that, then you get your full licensure. And, and it's very much, you know, like, like the old days where you would apprentice under somebody else and learn that craft, learn that trade. It, it's the same concept. We just, you know, we have laws and, and rules around it. And, and you go through, you know, step by step by step and get your license. Every state's different, though. Like in Texas, 
you can actually start your provisional period while you're a student. And some states don't allow that. Oh. They, they want you to have graduated, and then you can apply and, and get started. But in Texas, uh, several years ago, they changed our laws where once you are a student, you can start your apprenticeship so that it, it realistically helps you with what you're learning in class. You can see it put to use in the field at a funeral home. Um, so some of our students do oh, that. Oh, that's pretty. Some wait till the end. Wow, that that's actually that's quite unique, and I think that's a win-win, right? Uh, that that we offer here in the state of Texas, and at Commonwealth Institute. Now, now, do you help people find funeral homes that they can work in or do their apprenticeship in, or am I kind of left to my own abilities of doing that? No, we we definitely help at any given time. We we kind of have a running list of local firms that are looking for help, that are looking to bring on apprentices. And here in the Houston area, I mean, there, there's many, many funeral homes. We are not limited in any way. We have so many uh, establishments that we can help place students into a funeral home. And, and we work with them, you know, if there's a specific location, area of town, you know, 10, 15 miles on the map in Houston could be two hours in traffic. So we, we try to oh, definitely. try to place people correctly and, and they're, they're part of town. And, and we can do the same with our online students. We have a huge online program, and you know, anybody that needs help finding a job, we can, they can contact the college, and we can try and find something for them. Also, on our website, we have a listing of open positions. Employers are allowed to post their own jobs, and students can peruse those at their leisure. It's also available for our alumni that, that have left the college but still want to find help in getting a job. We keep current postings. Okay, wait, you... you- you said something that just kind of whisked by me. You said I can do this online? Yes, yes, we do offer. I, I can actually take these courses online. We, we do. Wow. Yeah, we are one of the larger online programs in the country. Um, there's, like I say, 50-something programs all across the country, but only, I think, about 15 of us have online programs. And you can do all of the lecture classes, same thing you would do, coming to college, sitting in class, you know, watching your professor lecture in the classroom, you can do all of that online. We, we have uh, every class available that you would take on campus. They're all available online. They also follow the same schedule. So our students don't pick and choose their classes at Commonwealth. Everything is preset. So when you start on day one, we, we say, all right, here's your classes for the first term, and then if you move forward, here's your classes for the next one, and so forth, versus a, a traditional college or university where you pick and choose what you want to take. And we do that so that there aren't true prerequisites, because you will always have had things first before you get to later classes. We want you to, to have that background knowledge. And you're not going to run into a case where, all right, I need this class. Oh, but it's not offered this term. So now i got to wait for the fall. And, and, oh, but that class was full, so now I can't take it till the spring. You know that you will get everything you need. So the online program is the same way. Everything you would sign up for on class, it's the same stuff you have online. The big difference is the labs. Uh, we still have the lab requirement. And every every program so if i if i'm taking this out of state mm-hmm. i'm taking an online course out of state how do i accomplish my labs so at commonwealth we offer two different pathways to complete your labs for our students that work at a funeral home and can meet certain criteria their obviously their ownership or their management has to be on board and we we do a bunch of paperwork and different things with them we have to train the licensees on staff that are going to be our quote-unquote preceptors for the college 
and as far as our expectations, the things that have to be covered in the different labs, and if all of those requirements are met, then those students in that pathway can do a lot of their labs off-site. Remember, we have three of them. We have the funeral directing, the embalming, and the restorative art. Restorative art has to be done on campus. We cannot have that done off-site. And then the, what we do with the uh, other two, the funeral directing and the embalming, we let those students do nine of their ten required cases of embalming off-site at their funeral home. They can also complete all funeral directing requirements off-site. And then what happens is they travel to campus. We have a preset schedule, and they sign up, and they travel to campus for two days. And in those two days, they complete all of their required restorative art uh, hours working with wax, and they do one embalming case under our supervision so that we can certify their competency. And again, that's for the students that, that work at a funeral home that meet, meet the criteria. If you have no connection to a funeral home, you have no experience, uh, none whatsoever, and right now you're working at you know, Walmart, you would come in instead of two days, you would be here for five. And in five days, we would cover all three labs. They're, they're jam-packed. It is a full week. Uh, we, we tell the students to you know, plan on, on being tired by the end of the week, but we get everything done and out of the way. And, and it's really helpful for the students because two to five days is not bad. It's not like a traditional lab where you have to come here once a month, once a week. You know, that, if you live in, you know, say, Pennsylvania and you're an online student, it's kind of hard to fly to Texas once a month, once a week to come to your lab. So we, we put everything into either two or five days, and then they get it done. It sounds like you guys there at Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services have, have taken all of the hurdles out of getting your license and becoming that funeral professional that you want to be. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't see any reason why not. I mean, there, there, there's, there's no reason, you know, if, if you say, Oh, well, I can't fly every month. Well, okay, well, we've, we've taken care of that for you. You only have to be flying here once and we take care of all of it right then and there. And I mean, what an amazing curriculum that you guys have put into place to really help streamline this, educational process, but at the same time, helping the up-and-coming penal professional get out there in the world. That's awesome. I mean, we're, we're trying to, in some ways, make it easier to help people get into the profession, but the flip side of that is it's still a rigorous program. The academics are not, not easy. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get through online education and people think it's easy that it's you know this is like social media i'm going to go post and maybe do an email here or there watch a video it's so much more than that and we we tell our online students that if you were on campus you would be in a seat 20 hours a week and then outside of that you'd have what five ten study hours working on assignments things like that we tell them you need to have that same 20 to 30 hours a week to set aside to do your online classes because they're tough it's we've done everything we can to streamline the process but you still have to put in the time the work and and be successful in the academics to be able to get through yeah one of the things i always uh, tell people i don't think they realize how much education goes into creating somebody in the funeral profession. When I, I remember when I finished my curriculum, I was like, wow, I think I'm ready for medical school now. I mean, it was that intense. It was that heavy. It 
you know, the amount of knowledge that we have to learn, absorb, and maintain, it truly baffled me. So, yes, as, as a student that took the class in the seat um, and, then, and then thinking that I would do that same type of level of, of work at home, you're right. You definitely have to be dedicated. I think just like the profession is a calling to us, you really have to be dedicated to learning what it takes to embellish that calling, to embrace that calling. And if that is you, definitely, definitely, you just you have to put in the work. Because it's tough. You know, it, it's not just embalming and funeral directing. You know, people don't realize our classes include things like microbiology and business law and, uh, you know, pathology, anatomy. There's so many things in there that... It's very heavy on the it, science. It is. Very heavy on the science because because we're dealing with the human body and we have to understand the human body and the makeup of the human body because, um, like I tell people, you know, we only get one shot at doing this job right when we're embalming that body. We don't get a do-over. Um, and so, and, and, and the work that we do with this family be it across the table in helping them plan the funeral or taking care of their loved one who has passed away and making them look presentable so they can have that final goodbye. We get one shot at it and everything is writing on that impression that we leave the family. And I think that people have to understand that, you know, yes, we have to get educated. Yes, we have to have a passion. But at the end of the day, it's about the family and the impact we leave with them for the rest of their life. I mean, that is a is a heavy burden in itself to carry as a professional. And I think it's important for people to understand that they have a very important job. This is not something that, like you said, you get a do-over on. It, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you will have a service for that loved one. And, and like you said, it's for the family. Uh, that, that person's gone. They've passed away. Everything you're doing is for the family to help them get through that process, that grief, the mourning, make it through to, to their new life without that person and help them celebrate the life and help them go through the, the rites and the rituals that, that go, go along with that. But it's all for the family. It is all to help them move, move forward. Cody, wow. I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this, but um, please, so, so if somebody's interested at wanting to come to come with Institute of Services uh, to, to start their journey of being a death care professional, tell us a little bit more about what they can do to get information or get in contact with you. So the best way is, is our website. We have so much information there, commonwealth.edu. You can apply right online. Uh, we don't have any uh, printout pen and paper applications anymore. The application is all on, on our website. Once you send that, then you can go through the process of getting transcripts and any paperwork we need. You can also call us. Uh, our number is 281-873-0262. We're here in Houston, Texas, but again, we have an online program where you can you can come to school here from all across the country. Uh, just to point out, uh, last year and the year before, about 50% of our graduates were outside the state of Texas, So, which is you know a, a large chunk of our, our student population. So... Like I say, our website, give us a call, um, go through that admissions process and come in. We, we have uh, four starting points a year, so you never have to late, wait more than maybe three or six months to get into, a, into the next program. That is fascinating. Well, Cody, oh my gosh, the wealth of knowledge that you've given me as a former student and graduate of Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services to see where our industry is, is, is continuously growing 
for the better of the service we provide our families. Thank you so much for your knowledge. And I and I hope everybody out there who has experience with a funeral director in the past or will have experience with the funeral director in the future and caring for their loved one, please do know that those that are caring for your loved one have a calling for that and they have gone through the, the, the rigorous educational curriculum to be licensed to do the job that they are doing. And if you are listening to this program and you think this might be for you, please reach out to Commonwealth Institute of Funeral Services and get that information and and embark on your calling and embrace it. And again, Cody, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I I was just honored and, and, and blown away with the information that I've learned today. And I hope has really helped many listeners out there. And again, thank you for joining The Final Curtain Never Closes. And we look forward to our next topic next month. And uh, thank you again. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on this podcast. And I hope that you will share this episode and our future episodes with family and friends. We look forward to any feedback you have to offer by giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And we hope that you will join us for a virtual tour at www.nmfh.org. And always remember, any day above ground is a good one.